something that you honestly can say you are putting in front of God in the love area? What is it or who is it that you love more than God? Does it show in your life? Or is God truly the one you love more than anything? And I would even put anyone. See, it is when God is in his rightful place that everything else falls into place. And when God is not in his rightful place, everything is out of place. And we have to understand that, that, that our lives were so built so that everything falls in under God, which is why he says, and I know those in the class with our elder, John McLeod, were going through the commandments when he talked about, you shall have no other God before me. That's priority and position. And so what he is saying is that if I'm not in the right position, you are out of position. If I'm not in the right place, you are out of place. And that song really tells it for us. Where is God in relation to who we are? Good morning. This week we are going to be looking at, as we continued with our gospel-shaped living focus for seven weeks. Last week we started, it was our church, A Light in the Darkness. This week is a unified church in a divided world, a unified or a united church in a divided world. And we see today more than, more, it seems like more than in, in, in years and years past that we, are, that we are battling, we are fighting within and among ourselves as a nation and and, and as a society, and everyone is screaming, is there any hope? Someone step up. And God has said, I have people that can step up. The issue is just they're not. I have people that can demonstrate the amazing power of the Spirit's work and of the gospel, but they are busy being distracted by what is distracting the world. God says that I've called for a unified, a united voice in front and, and group in this world so they can show what my intent was all along. And when Christ came, what he died and was resurrected to do. And ultimately, what he died and was resurrected to do was to bring peace with God, was to reconcile us, bring us back to in right relationship with God, and thereby allowing us to be in right relationship with one another. You know, that was God's intent all along. Whenever we hear what the scripture says about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all your strength in Jesus completing that. He didn't add, he completed that when he came and said, and the second is just like it to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you look at the commandments, those that have, have been in Elder McLeod's class, you will see that God has those commandments such that it's first your relationship with him, and then it's your relationship with others. 
And it is that relationship with him that will determine your relationship with others. And I would dare say some of what we are seeing in the church today is more telling than we realize that because of the dysfunction we have horizontally, what it is telling us is that we have dysfunction vertically. Because my relationship with you is a direct reflection of my relationship with God. And if you see dysfunction in my life horizontally, if you were to be able to pull back the covers in my life and your life, you would be able to see the dysfunction I have vertically. And what God wants us to realize today, which is why I had us pray through Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, and we know in Ephesians that after after Paul spent three chapters telling people about their position in Christ and how they arrived at the position they have, then he begins to talk about your practice as believers. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 talks about your practice. And we start off with, as we focus in our prayer, that he says that we are to walk worthy of the calling. Of what calling? Of being called to be a people that would follow Christ. And then he tells us how. He gives us four key things, and he says, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, those are relational aspects within community. You can't demonstrate patience by yourself. You can't demonstrate humility by yourself. You can't demonstrate gentleness alone. It is as you relate to others and as you relate to people. And, as, and so he sets it up and he says, understand clearly what God's intent was. But today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've actually done this before. And so for some it's a repeat, but I'm not repeating everything in exactly as of before. When we went through Corinthians, we spent some time on this one. But here again, as we're looking at a united church in a divided world, God is calling us to take a look at a dysfunctional church and how he was correcting her to be who he has desired her to be. Now, you know the book of 1 Corinthians was more than anything corrective in nature. It was one in which Paul was given a strong rebuke to a community who thought they had it all together and that he actually had to write them several times. We get first and second. There is believed to have been four letters, but, and, and so this church needed a lot of help. Don't throw them under the bus. We could find ourselves as our modern-day church in the Corinthian church. And that Corinthian church was one where there was a lot of dysfunction because they forgot who they were. Their relationship with God was tainted, and thus their relationship with each other was. And so as we spend time in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to see what God calls for in this unified in a divided world. We need to stop telling the world to be, to tell them to stop being so divided. Division is a function of being out of position with God. It is. Now, yeah, there is a certain level of unity we expect from humanity, but understand we're calling for the world to be unified when, as a church, 
we can't seem to get it together. In essence, what we should be doing, and we'll see today, is calling the world to take a look at us so they can understand how it is to be done. That's what God is calling for. Now understand, as we get into this, unity does not mean, and we'll see it in this text, sameness. That everyone has to look like everyone. That everyone has to, has to, has to actually uh, do the same exact things that everyone else. You got to dress like me. You got to walk like me. You got to talk like me. Otherwise, we're not unity. You know, that's not unity. Not the kind that the Bible is describing. As a matter of fact, what we'll read today is this whole concept of unity in diversity. And actually, I will say, as we get ready to read, that the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of human anatomy for us to understand the unity in diversity of the body. Paul uses the analogy of human anatomy to bring us and to illustrate what he means by this unity in diversity. Stand with me, please. This one is another long one today. So let's just kind of strap in for this reading ride as we all read together, but we need to read the whole thing, and then it is sectioned in groups, but we need to read the whole thing. Let's start at verse 12. It'll be up on the screen or in the centerfold of your bulletin. Let's read together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty." which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, 
all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Amen. You may be seated. Take a look at yourselves. I know you guys have looked this morning in the mirror as you got dressed. I can tell because I know people in here looking crazy like you haven't looked in the mirror. So I know that you looked at yourself this morning, but if you were just to take a cursory glance, and I, I know we don't do that. Some of us may do it more than others. But um, if you take a cursory glance at your body and look, it is still the most amazing thing on this planet. Medical science is still so amazed. Years ago, um, some of you may know, I had a pretty serious kidney issue. And um, um, went through a lot of tests and went through a lot of treatment. And God brought me out on the other side of that. But one of the things in a lot of the research and a lot of the things that I had looked at was there was one particular doctor who had studied in the field and um, we actually had gotten some information from him. But one of the things he said is that he spent his whole career, he was like over 35, almost 40 years studying one body part, he said, studying the kidney. And he said, here's the conclusion that I came to with all of those 35 plus almost 40 years. He said that I haven't even begun to tap into all that there is to know about the human kidney. He said this body is amazing. Well, of course, the one who put it together is even more amazing. But here is the issue, that when we look at the body and we see this complex systems at work and different things that are functioning and that are working, we were having this conversation this week about, you know, this, this whole idea of how would this body come about. And one of the things that we talked about is that do you realize that there are systems that would have had to be put in place at the same time in order for your body to function. So for instance, you need your brain, but if your brain is not getting oxygen and there's not blood flowing to that brain, it's just a, 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 a useless piece of soft gray matter tissue. And so, um, but your heart, you know, um, your, your heart can say, yeah, but if I'm not beating, um, if I'm not providing blood to the rest of the body, nothing happens. Yeah, but that heart doesn't understand that if there is not a brain signaling for the heart to beat, that there is no beat. And then in case they both were feeling themselves, the lungs was like, y'all forgetting about me. Because if there is no breathing in and out at the same time, brain isn't getting air, the heart is only pumping this red stuff, but there's no oxygenation in that blood, the rest of the body does. You know, what I, what I see with that is that the heart, the heart, the mind, and the lungs had to come into play at the same time, the same exact time for the body to actually function. And when I look at this great work 
of creativity. And when I look at the human body, I'm amazed. But one of the things that I realize about it, that there are a lot of different things going on, yet one unified presentation. I've um, spent some time now more in the gym than before, and, and I'm reaping the rewards, thankfully, of it. Uh, but one of the things I realize is that there are different parts that do different things. And that, but if those parts are not working together, it can cause havoc. How many of you guys have ever been trying to do something and one of your muscles decides, I want to clamp up today? Whether you want to call it a Charlie horse, you want to call it whatever, you, you hey, that, that you can have good intentions and then all of a sudden one of the muscles decides to spasm. And that unified, glorious piece of God's creation is now hindered and hampered. What if? You decided one day, I don't know if this ever happened, my head, you're sitting there and, and, and the eye just starts twitching all of a sudden. And you're like, stop. Or something happens with a part that is out of place. We tend to now focus on it and go, okay, something's wrong with my body. Well, well actually, it's that one point. No, but I talk about it's, it's the whole body. The body understands Unity out of the diversity and the diversity in this unity, it understands it. When you leave here today and you get up and walk out, there are different things in play that are causing you to get from your seat to your car. And if you were to talk about all the different things that were happening that had to happen correctly for you to get up and leave and drive and all the systems and all the things that had to be in place separately but working together, you would be amazed. But none of us thinks about that. We just think, I'm going to get up, I'm going to walk to my car, I'm going to drive home, and we're going to have some lunch or whatever. No one thinks about all that has to go into work for that to happen. And God is shining the camera now. He is, he is honing the lens on the body and says, I want to talk about the way my body, the body of Christ, is to work. And I'm going to use what I know they understand best, their own bodies. And so he starts and he says, listen, when he starts off and he wants us to be amazed at how he starts off, he wants us to look at the nature of the body. Here it is. He says, for just as, verse 12, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And so he does that one many, one many. You hear him going back and forth with the play in that word, one and many. And he says, understand how this works in your life as a believer. I know you want to be that lone ranger. He says, but that's not how a body works. As a matter of fact, if you have a rogue body part, something is wrong. Something is wrong when your legs are trying to run and you are wanting to be seated. Or you are wanting to run and your legs want to be seated. Something is wrong with the signal if... If, if you are trying to lift something and your brain is not communicating to your arms to lift, because you know that's what has to happen. 
And so he says here, he gives us the nature. The nature of the body is this. One, it is interconnected, that there are different things happening at different times, that there is a multitude of functions and there are some different things that are going on, but they all work in unison toward a particular purpose, and, and, and that is for the human body is to function in everyday life. For the spiritual body, it is to demonstrate who God is to this world and to carry out his mission and purpose. So he says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. And then he tells us, listen, for in one spirit we were all baptized, and that, that spirit is, the capital S, is the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit's work of, of regenerating us, of, of bringing us into light, in that oneness of the spirit, we were all baptized into one spirit. He said you were baptized into oneness. When you came to Christ, that spiritual baptism didn't sit you in this corner and you over here. And you, He said you were all baptized into one spirit, oneness, when you came to Christ, if you came to Christ. And then he sings out, he says Jews are Greeks because they didn't, in the past, they didn't unify or socialize, slave or free. They didn't unify or socialize. We can add to that today. We can say black or white. We can say economically advantaged and economically under-resourced. You can, you can put any of the differences in there. What he was telling us, this just wasn't about Jews or Greeks. What he was saying is these are the differences. These are the opposite ends of society for, for these folks. For the Jews, who was the opposite? Who was on the other end? Greeks. For the frees, who were on the other end of the spectrum? The slaves. And so he's giving you two ends, so everything in between is included. He says, listen, this thing is about bringing the extremities together or working in the same purpose and for the same purpose because God is the one who brought you all together. When you came from your mother's womb, you didn't come out in pieces. You came out right, thank God. You came out as one, all things functioning well. Now, there has been dysfunction because of the effects of the sin of Adam and Eve on our, on our humanity, and thus we do have the dysfunctions that we see. But all things working well, when you were brought and born into this world, you were born with many members, all of them that you needed, and you were born as one. And boy, God has demonstrated when you were born again, when you came to Christ, when you came in, you didn't come in as some new lone ranger and boy, God's really going to do it with me in this life. No, you came into a body as one. And God says, now I want you to fit in where I've placed you. So the nature of the body is that it is one and it is where God has placed you. We see it down in verse 18, but as it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That is both physically true and it is spiritually true. Your body, the way it is arranged today, and all of us have the same arrangement, your body, the way it is arranged, is a direct result of God's choice, his, pers- his prerogative. Two arms, two legs, you know, a head, a nose, ears, you know, uh, his prerogative. And I know to some, they want to miss the potato head this thing. Y'all know what I mean. They want to take parts and put, and then, what would happen if I put that here? Because you know that's what you could do with Mr. Potato Head. You can take the nose and put it somewhere else, and, 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 and you could take the leg, and, and you could put, and, and I remember as a kid doing that and just laughing at it. Because that's just the kind of mind I had. But we do that sometimes in the body of Christ. Wow. We want to arrange this thing the way we desire. And God is like, you're not the one who created, so you're not the one who can arrange it. But God, I want to be here. I understand that, but that's like you putting your nose where your armpits are. But God, I would rather do this. And God said, I understand that, but that's not how I arranged you. And so he said, it is God's choice, it is God's prerogative, it is God's will where people are placed, where members are placed, both physically and, more importantly today, spiritually. The gifting that you have, the, the, the desires and the passions that you have as a believer, the, the talents and the gifts that God is allowing you to have, that was God-ordained, God-placed, God-selected. And he wants you to fulfill what he's given you, where he's given you to express it. So it's placed by God. That's the nature of the body. The next thing I wanted to look at really is, the next thing is the dysfunction of the body. And this is where the Corinthians had to, had to understand this. there was a dysfunction in the body. Number one, the first dysfunction were people feeling that they were not valued or needed, that they, as a part of this body, weren't a part of the body because they didn't have a particular, they didn't fill a particular role or they weren't a particular body part. In other words, because I'm not, you know, because I'm not an arm, I'm not a part of the body. Well, that's what it says here. Let's look at it. It says, verse 15, For if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Understand what he's saying. This body part is thinking, I'm not fill in the blank. For our church, since I ain't a preacher, I really ain't that important in the body. Since I'm not a singer, since I'm not a leader, since I'm not a You fill in the blank. He says, because you don't think your place in the body is critical doesn't mean you're not a part of the body. It just means that you have a warped and a dysfunctional perspective about your place in the body of Christ. Now, understand that because I think a lot of the division we see is because people don't understand where they've been placed and the value of where they've been placed. 
See, that's because what we've done is that we've given great value to certain parts and we've dishonored others. And so we highlight those people that are out front, lift them up, elevate them, you know, and, and we constantly keep stroking them wonderfully and they feel it. And the other parts are going, well, I'm not him. I'm not her. I'm not them. So I must not be critical. And you end up not realizing how God has gifted you and the nature a unified, a united church in a divided world. See, we get to show the world. And because because I come from this neighborhood, because I live in this area, this is the person themselves putting themselves down and out of place. We're going to deal with the other side of that in a moment. This is you are now living as if you don't belong because you don't possess certain things. I don't live in the right neighborhood or I don't believe like the rest of them believe politically. I don't function because I don't have what the rest of the group has or I didn't come from the background they came from or I don't have the physical features that others have. I used to complain all the time. I just remember, I used to complain all the time about my height, you know, and, and, and height is relative, but in my family, I, I, it is relative. I'm relatively short <laughs> for, for my siblings. And so all my other brothers, I used to say, God, like, like, like did you jump over me or something? Like, all of my other three brothers are over six feet tall and then you got this one kid. I was like, what were you thinking? <laughs> that was me and my immaturity. I, I had to grow up past that. But the deal was I felt out of sorts because I wasn't like everyone else. I wasn't like, or I wasn't, or I was like, God, you, you, you could have had me a little bit taller than my sisters. Like, like, did you have to make me and her the same height? Here was the issue. I was taking my own set of values, my own set of, 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 of the critical nature of, of what I believed was there, and I was placing it on my value in how God could use me. And God was like, son, you have the wrong perspective. Those things don't even matter. Here's how I wired you. You know, I used to, for years, I used to struggle with the fact that um, this year, in March, I get to go to my 40th high school reunion. Wow, I feel old. <laughs> I get to go to my 40th high school reunion. And, and one of the things I remember with high school was <clears throat> used to have, on a pretty regular basis, the people that, that, that others did not want to hang around used to like hanging around me. And that, I just said, that bothered me. I just like... When am I the, the, the magnet for the people that no one wants to be with? <laughs> Seriously. And like they would just hang around and I would just be like, what on earth? I wanted to be with this set that everyone wanted to. And here this other group. And I was like, really? And even after I became a believer, I was like, really? God, like, you know. And then it was this, 
this, this compassion and passion that I would feel for them and, and those that were being mistreated. And I remember saying to the Lord, why did you make me like this? I don't want to care about people like this. Seriously, I, I, those words came out of my mouth because I didn't understand how God had wired me. I didn't understand it. And I felt that it was not cool. I felt that it left me out there. But then God grew me up and he helped me understand, Curtis, the reason people like hanging around you, one person told me one day, is they said, because you don't make us feel like we don't belong. And then I got the clue. Oh, Lord, you want me here. Yeah, I said, but, but it's not cool being around all of those that no one else wants to be around. And God is like, to me it is. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at your Savior, you're really a whole lot like him. And I begin to grow past that, but that was the dysfunction because I said, because I don't have this, I'm not a critical part of the body. And as a matter of fact, I backed away from how God, and for years I fought against that. I was on the bus one time going to, at that particular time, it was a junior college in New York that I was going to. And I remember one of our friends, we sat in, on the bus home because um, I was commuting and had this conversation with this young lady. And she was asking about her faith and in her life. And, and I was just trying to answer the best I knew how. I was answering her questions. And I didn't realize anyone was listening to it, but you're on the bus, probably everybody's probably listening to it. And so we're talking everything, and she, you know, this is my stop, I gotta get up. And I said, okay, cool, hey, have a good day. And she gets up and leaves, and it's so funny, someone else from my school comes up and sits down. She says, I heard you talking to her. Can I ask you a question? And I was like, really? I just wanted to have a cool ride home. And we started talking again, but then it kicked in again. God says, dude, pay attention. It's how I've wired you. How has God wired you? What is it that you're fighting that the Lord has been wanting to do through you, but you don't think, God, it's not cool. It, it, it's it's, it's, it's time-consuming. Boy, it's, it's so burdensome. I used to go, God, do I really got to hear another story? I didn't realize what the Lord was preparing me is to hear a whole lot of stories when I became a pastor. But it was just over the years, and he was just, hey, roll with this. I'm doing something in you. What is he doing in you? How has he set you? How has he structured you in the body now that you're a believer? How are you functioning? What roles do you play? Do you resent it? Do you regret it? Or do you embrace it? Do you even know how he has gifted and wired? And so... The dysfunction of the body says, I am not needed. That's part of the dysfunction. He says, I am not needed. But then there's another dysfunction that says, I am all that is needed. See, you have the ones that don't feel that they measure up. And then you have those that feel like no one else measures up. And God says, you just as wrong. And so he says here, here's the next one. He says, is... <clears throat> Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I love those 
examples, which says the eye says to the hand, I have no need of you. I said, okay. So the eye says, hey, you can't grab what you can't see. And the hand goes, but you can't grab what you see. If you don't have me, you just looking at it all day. Nothing you can do. Boy, that hamburger looks great. All you can do is look at it. As a matter of fact, the mouth says, and if I'm not there, you can't even taste it. See, the issue says there also is a dysfunction that says, I'm so needed, y'all aren't as important as I am. You've ever heard those people say, boy, what God could do with that person if they come to Christ. And I was like, God don't need them. They may have the honor of being used by God, but the issue becomes God is saying, listen, there is none of us that can say we need no one else because of who we think we are in the body. You say, well, how does that apply to the world? Because the world does that. They size people up. They place values on you. If you believe like this, if you live here, if you have this much money, if you vote that way, if you vote this way, if, and, and, and we size them up and we place values on them, you're more important because you think this way or you feel this way. God says, I didn't set that standard. The standard is me and my character and my word and my holiness. Other than that, fit in. And boy, when I see that, I go, God is hitting both. He says, first, there's the person that you don't think very much of yourself. And then there's the person that all you do is think about yourself. Both dysfunction. And both will divide a body. And so he says, listen, if your body was all, if, if, if the body was just an eye, that would be really strange to have one big eye. Or if the body was just a hand and you have one big hand and that's all you are. But we appreciate what we can do because of the different things we have. And God is telling us, listen, stop sizing people up placed on, I mean, based on your value systems. Base it on the word of God and understanding the context that he puts it in. God chooses, and sometimes we want to take the place of God, and we want to tell people how they fit in and where they are valued and where they're not. And then here's the sad part, and we believe them. And we sit ourselves down and put ourselves out of commission because that's the way the world does. I had a friend, and some of you have heard this. He's a missionary over in Germany, and he was, he's learned the language, and now he's preaching in both English and German, something I couldn't even do. And he has studied hard and long and well. And he said, but when he first got there, he was at an event with a bunch of Germans, and he was speaking and talking. And he said, as I met people, I just do what we do here. And the first thing he walks up and says, he says, he's talking to this person, and he asked this question, what do you do? And he said the German guy turned to him and gave him this look and said, you must be American. Ooh, he was like, I am, but how do you tell? He says, only Americans 
ask up front what you do. Whoa, I didn't know that. He says, y'all are always sizing people up by what they do. Now, that's not only what we do that, because it's a starter for conversation, but the danger is we are sizing people up. We're placing them in a value position based on what you do. And there, because they, you get tracked early in your life, if they sense that you're not the college type and they sense it pretty early, I think a little bit too early, that's just me, but, but if they do, you get tracked towards a trade. You don't have to ask. They do that for you. Now, I'm not saying that I agree or not with that, but that's just what. And so over there, the positions are valued. Some of the best craftsmen and tradesmen and women that I've met have been in that environment because they've been, they've been studying that for years and they've been honored and valued in that. So when they get out, they're not second-class citizens because they're not, and you fill in the blanks. We could take something from that in the church because he says here, listen, God says the parts that are not, um, the parts that are not seen the most are to be honored the most. He says, and your unpresentable parts are treated with care. We do that all the time. The parts that are not seen are treated with modesty. We cover them up. We treat them with care. We honor them because if you don't, they may not be seen, but it will be seen that you're not taking care of them. See, the issue becomes, uh, Paul is given this anatomy lesson as he's given a spiritual lesson. You want to be united? He says those parts that are not honored in your body, those parts that don't get the upfront treatment, those parts that aren't like me up speaking every Sunday in front of you. He says those are the ones that need to be honored and recognized more, but we flip it. We honor and recognize the parts that are seen, and so everybody rushes to be seen so that they can be honored. And God says that's why you have division. He said actually the parts that are not honored, I mean, that are not seen should be honored even more. You should treat with greater care and honor why? Because they're critical nature. And he gives you the reason. In the text, he says, so that there would be no division. So what he tells me, the remedy for this is those people that are serving and that are gifted in areas that are not known and that are not seen and that don't get honor all the time, those are the parts you better be honoring all the time. You ought to be saying, brother, I'm so glad that God has wired you to, to serve like this or to be this. I'm so grateful that your merciful heart and your hand of justice and mercy in the background is so critical to us. And I love the fact that, that, that I can depend on you and you don't have to be seen or heard. God says, you need to be doing that all the time for folk. Why? Why? Because he says it will keep from divisions forming among you. Where do divisions come? When people either feel they're too critical to the mission or not critical enough. And what ends up happening is the bitterness sets in or the disenfranchisement sets in. And then we start pulling back from one another. And God says, I want to help you out. You want to keep your church united? Honor the people that are not seen more than the people that are seen. 
Honor the people that serve tirelessly without recognition more than the people that serve with a lot of recognition. I say it all the time. I get a lot of recognition. I do. Sometimes more than I want. I get a lot of recognition. And I'll go places and if somebody, and I don't tell people up front a lot of the time, not because I'm embarrassed by my position. I, I am grateful to the Lord for how he has allowed me to serve. But sometimes I don't tell people I'm a pastor because of the way that people turn and act when they find out that I am. Oh, pastor. Oh, pastor. Man, can, 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 just sit right here. I'm like, no, dude, I, I, I want to sit back there. I want to sit over here. Is that okay? I just want to be with my family. Is that okay? Is that okay? I was sitting out one time, and I'll never forget. Boy, we were sitting at a restaurant years ago. Years ago. I think before we had kids. My wife and I was sitting at a restaurant, and I was on staff at another church. And we had a restaurant, and this guy comes up. Levetta's sitting here. I'm sitting here. And he walks up. And I'm going to make you... And he walks up and he goes, Pastor, how you doing? And he just starts talking to me. Man, it's so great to see you. Man, you know, everything's going okay? And I'm like, dude, do you not realize you got your, you, you haven't even spoken to her. You got your back towards her. And when he took a breath, I said, brother, have you met my wife, LeVette? He goes, oh, sis, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you. And I, I, I'm like, we get so bent up over people that we think are well-known because many times that gives us value, that we dishonor others around us. I've had that happen several times. That disturbs me. She's sitting right there, and it was like she was the empty chair. Now, I know he didn't mean any harm, but that, that's, that's just the thinking that goes on. And God says, stop it. I'm not saying, yes, he says, gives honor where honor is due, but sometimes we miss where honor is due. The issue becomes, how are we doing with keeping division from happening by honoring those that are not less, I mean, that are less visible? And then he tells us, you are the body of Christ. And I don't have time to go into the last part. He gets into the gifted individuals after he establishes how the body is to function. We like to talk about the gifted individuals and don't talk about how the body functions. The gifts are only applicable in the context of the human body. See, we rave about those people that, can, that have that level of dexterity and skill that can, that can hit a baseball with a bat because it takes a lot of I mean, hand-eye coordination or, or those that do some different things that require Great abilities, those that can speak well, rap well, create songs, those that can play music. And we just go, wow, I wish I could do that. And God says, don't wish you can do that. Find out what I've wired you to do and do it well. Well, God, it isn't as important. He says, to whom? The way we keep this body from being divided, knowing who we are, knowing where we've been placed, and knowing that it has value regardless of what we think. And then he says, you are the body. And then he talks about the gifting. And then he says, some, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. When he says, do all, and he goes down the line, take heed to that, because the answer is no on all of them. So when he says at the end, when he says, 
are all apostles? Answer is no, because he said earlier, he gave some to be. He says, are all prophets? Answer, no. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Now, can God use anyone to work a miracle? Yes, but he's talking about those that have been gifted in that particular way. He says, do all possess gifts of healing? And he didn't change the series of thought. No. Do all speak with tongues? I know it's going to mess somebody up today. No. It's the same. He didn't change the series of thought. Do all interpret? No. What he is saying is, listen, and that's okay. Because that's how I've wired my body. Does every part of your body grab things like your hand? No. Does, it, does, does every part of your body hear like your ears? No. Does every part of your body beat like your heart? No. He says, but you are each a part of something greater than your individual part. Here's my point to us. How do we remain united? Know who you are. Value who you are, because God does. And then start getting busy because of who you are. And please let us stop this thing of, and I'm really serious with that, because this is where the church is faltering is because of how people think, because of where they place, I mean, where they place their vote, where they place their financial values, where they place where they want to live, where, how they've chosen to work, what careers they go into, um, um, where I go to school. We can put anything in that. And we place these values on things that don't have the value that God gives. Now, there are some things that he does because he talks about how we, you know, the, the things that we are to value. And he gives us those things that we are to value. And how we are to value life, all of it, in and out of the womb. How we are to value people from all places. We're to value them. How we are to value where you come from, the ethnic and the economic background. He says, stop separating. One of the, re one of the reasons why that team was invited into that Navajo woman's house is because we didn't separate ourselves. We kept coming back to this nation, this area, this place, and they realized there is this genuineness to this group, and they really love us, although different. And we sit in a community that's increasingly diverse. And God says, are you able to reach it, or do you just have to have the same ethnicity club that you come to on Sundays, and no one else can come in unless they do it like you? See, the issue becomes the Lord is telling us, listen, if I have put you out there, sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be really uncomfortable sometimes. But he says, I'm doing something greater than you. I'm doing something that you couldn't do if it wasn't for me. Some of us in this room would never socialize with one another if it wasn't for Christ. Some of us in, in, in this room, you are friends with people that you are like, I know I couldn't be friends with you if you weren't a Christian. But for some of us, we may not be able to say that because 
We've not allowed God by the power of his spirit to do anything challenging in our life. So I only hang around those who are easy to hang around. I only love those who are easy to love. I only hang out with those who are just like me and you think like me and you act like me because I just got the me club going on and you can do for me what I like and I can do for you what you like. And we're no different than the Pharisees. And God says, what I've called for is for you to climb over that and to be the church. And when the world sees it, they stand amazed. How on earth can, can, can Jews and Greeks hang out together? Because that's what was being said. How on earth can those who are, who, who are lower economically hang out with those that are higher economically? Because that's what was talked about in the early days in the first century of the church. They were ridiculed because they led in those who were economically lower than the rest and who weren't as educated. They were ridiculed because they were said to be uh, filled with people from the uneducated ranks of the early Christians. And I would say, yes, thank you, because God is doing something greater than just what we naturally want to do. So let's just ask this question for us. Let's ask this question for us. Am I living in the way First question, am I living in the way that God has gifted and wired me? And do I value that? Am I living in the way that God has gifted and wired me? And am I living in that? So that begs the question, how has God gifted and wired me? And maybe you need to start there. Next question is, is who I am and what I'm doing benefiting more than just me? Is who I am and what I'm doing benefiting more than just me? Only you can answer that question. And third question, how am I honoring those? How am I honoring those that are not as visible and are not as praised as others are among us, because God is calling for all of us to do that. How am I honoring those that are not as visible and that are not as praised as some of us? You treat your unpresentable parts with care, the parts that are not seen. Are we doing that as a church? Do you appreciate the diversity of the body, or does it just annoy you? You wish everything was more the same. Nowhere else does that happen in life and function well. Let's go before the Lord. Father, I thank you. Oh, Lord, this could be a two or three-parter. A lot of verses, a lot to cover, and we've gone long today. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us in this. Father, that... The unity of the body is embedded in its diversity because it is the Spirit of God that brings us together, changes our desires and our motivations, but allows us to work in the diversity of how we are wired, how we have been made and created.
so that we demonstrate something greater. God at work. Just as he created the human body with all its diversity working in unison, he created the body of Christ with all its diversity working in unity. Father, help us to welcome those that are not like us, but to do it with your value system. Father, your value system of holiness and purity. We don't accept sin because you're a God of holiness and purity. We don't accept that which is against your word because we value and hold high what you've said. But Father, we value the fact that you've made people different from us. And you've set them with different passions, although with the same value system. And Father, where there is difference, where there is disagreement, Lord, let us meet at Christ and his word for all of the things that we face and meet. Father, may it never be said of us, and may it, or may it be reduced in being said of us, Father, that we are people that can't bear with one another that we can't be gentle with one another, that we're not humble with one another. Father, Ephesians 4 sets the tone for us, and I pray that we do that, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to go in just a moment. Please just remain praying. You heard a lot today, and today,